This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, March 28th, 2022. This is your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kelms. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for supporting us, KUAF, Public Radio, and Ozarks at Large, for years. We're able to spend an hour with you each weekday, focused on the people, events, and matters of where we live, only because of the support you have shown the past three-plus decades. This is our spring on-air fundraising week when we devote a few minutes between news stories and conversations to encourage you to either continue your support of this kind of radio or to begin to support it. Public radio like KUAF doesn't pause for five, six, seven, eight minutes at a time to play commercials that pay for the programming. Instead, we turn to you and the other people who use the radio to chip in for the cost. You determine the value and you determine the amount you contribute. When we work together, we keep great radio like this on the air. And our great friend, Marty Burgraff, is stepping up during this hour of Ozarks at Large to give you just one more incentive to support your public radio station. Marty is offering $300 as a match to your contribution. Your contribution of any amount up to $300. So if we all work together this hour to raise $300 quickly, Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville will match that total of $300. You can make your contribution in the amount of your choosing right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. The archpriest of an Eastern Orthodox Christian church in Fort Smith is reflecting on how his Ukrainian and Russian parishioners are responding to the catastrophic and worsening Russian war in Ukraine. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Now Inside Saints George and Alexandra Orthodox Church in Fort Smith, the very Reverend John Maxwell leads parishioners in a two-and-a-half-hour-long divine liturgy. I'm Father John Maxwell. Uh, I am an archpriest of the Orthodox Church in America. Orthodox Church in America consists of more than 700 parishes nationwide. Saints George and Alexandra Orthodox Mission, which counts over 40 members, is part of the Diocese of the South. We come from the Russian uh, Church, but we are given in 1971 autocephaly which means we're a self-governing church. We're not under a foreign entity. We are an, a, an American Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church was first established in America in the 19th and 20th centuries by Greek, Russian, Middle Eastern, and Balkan immigrants in search of freedom and economic opportunity. Still, with deep historic Eastern European roots in place, Father Maxwell says the parishioners of Saints George and Alexandra Orthodox Church are exceedingly concerned about the Russian military siege on Ukraine. Well, it's very painful for all of us. Uh, we do have uh, Russian and Ukrainian members, 
And this has caused a lot of angst for them uh, because they really see themselves as one people, not two different people. Impressioners have additional concerns as well. Fear. Some people have fear about uh, what Americans might think of them if they're Russian. Some uh, people are just afraid about their relatives that are there and they can't get out, you know, and they're trapped there and what's going to happen to them. In an archpastoral letter posted on socials by Diocese of the South Archbishop Alexander, he called on Putin to stop the fatricidal war. The sin of Cain, killing your brother. For Orthodox Christians, we do not believe in aggressive war. But you do not go out like we've never had crusades that went out and to attack people. You know, so this is so contrary to everything. Putin claims to be an Orthodox Christian, so it hurts our heart to see that that he is doing this. And this is why such a strong uh, reaction from the Orthodox Church worldwide against Putin, you know, about his aggressive behavior. More than 150 Russian Orthodox clerics reportedly called for an immediate end to the war in an open letter issued March 1st. But Russian Orthodox Church leader Patriarch Kirill, often photographed with Vladimir Putin, did not sign, representing religious leaders who side with the Russian Federation. In part, this traces to the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, too, being granted autocephaly self-governance in early 2019 by the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople, breaking away from the Russian Orthodox Church, causing a major schism, Father Maxwell says. He says the self-governing Orthodox Church in America initiated fundraising the first day of the Russian invasion. Which is going to the Polish Orthodox Church. And I'm also suggesting they give to the IOCC, which is a, um, uh, an Orthodox international uh, charity group that we're very familiar with also doing relief work. And so I thought some of our people might trust that more than the Church of Poland, maybe. So, so we're doing both, you know, and, and, uh, and then we're, of course, praying in all of our services for the people of Ukraine. According to the UN Refugee Agency, more than 10 million Ukrainians have been displaced or forced to flee from their homeland due to the Russian military assault focused on civilians. The death toll remains unknown due to the inability of emergency responders to conduct search and rescue and recovery. Overseas news accounts also show the Russians are bombing churches, including St. Michael's Orthodox Church near Kiev. A photograph reveals the ornate gold and turquoise altar and iconography smashed to pieces. Traditional Orthodox onion-shaped gold and turquoise church domes signify burning candles, representing the luminosity of Christ and otherworldly saints. When asked to comment on the Russian assault on Ukraine Orthodox churches, Father Maxwell could only say this. It's a desecration of what is holy. Let's pray to the
to contribute to the Ukraine Crisis Response Fund facilitated by the International Orthodox Christian Charities, visit iocc.org. The NGO also assists those harmed by the Russian insurgents into Syria and climate refugees in Greece, as well as the U.S. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Still to come on this Monday edition of Ozarks at Large, we'll talk with Kristen Mann, who is the producer of the film To the Stars. She'll screen the movie and talk about it later this week in Bentonville. That conversation just ahead. This is KUAF, and this is the spring fundraising Spring on-air fundraising week at KUAF. We take just a couple of minutes in between stories to remind you that the reason we can bring you conversations with people in Fort Smith, with visiting movie producers, with all the people that you hear on Ozarks at Large, the reason we can do that is because of support from you and listeners like you, including Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville, who has issued a $300 challenge during this hour of Ozarks at Large. If we can raise together $300, Marty will match it, and then we've raised at least $600 during this first day of Ozarks at Large during this on-air spring fundraiser. You can make your contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. KUAF and Ozarks at Large, bringing you stories you can't find anywhere else. That's an important distinction when you think about all the information that you have access to. Your radio, television, phone, wherever you are. But on public radio, you're hearing stories and conversations that make you stop and think. And sometimes might even change your view of the world. It's why you listen. And it's a great reason to give to KUAF this week, to give to KUAF right now. You can give right now at supportkuaf.com. And if you give right now, Marty Burgraff has that $300 challenge out there. You don't have to do the whole $300. You don't have to be a brand new or a returning member. You can be anyone who listens and appreciates public radio and Ozarks at Large and can make a contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. From all of us at KUAF and your fellow listeners, thank you. Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville presents a spring break destination for family exploration through the arts and sciences and math moves. Experiencing ratio and proportion in the museum's traveling gallery, amazium.org, for tickets, information, and more. Tickets are now on sale for An Evening with James Taylor and his all-star band, live at Walmart Amp and Rogers. The show is Friday, July 15th. Amptickets.com or 443-5600 for tickets and more information. This is Ozarks at Large. The opportunities for filmmakers in Northwest Arkansas to learn continue. Later this week, Kristen Mann, a native Arkansan and the producer of the movie To the Stars, will screen that film and discuss the movie at an Arkansas filmmaker spotlight taking place at Thaden School in Bentonville Friday night beginning at 6.30. Last week, we asked Kristen Mann about To the Stars, which is set in 1960s Oklahoma. And it's centered around these two girls in high school. One is um, Iris. She's a reclusive um, sort of outsider. She's bullied at school. And this new girl moves to town, Maggie, who is um, outspoken and charismatic. And she sort of sees something special in Iris. And she sticks up for her against the bullies. And so this unlikely friendship, you know, strikes up. And essentially, I won't, you know, say too much more. I'll be giving things away. But essentially, it's a story about an empowering friendship between two female outsiders and a 
time and place of repression and intolerance. Friday night screening is free, and you can find out more at ArkansasCinemaSociety.org. We wanted to find out more from Kristen about the world of being a movie producer. It's a lot of things. So there's different um, types of producers. Um, I am sort of an all-encompassing producer, so I do everything from find the material, the script, um, to sometimes originating the script, you know, working with the writer, um, hiring the director, if that's not also the writer, um, raising the money for the project, casting, uh, managing production, hiring crew, uh, overseeing post-production, marketing, release, sales, I mean, the whole <laughs> shebang. <laughs> It's interesting because we we love to talk to directors. We love to talk to actors, mm-hmm. uh, script writers. And you need, of course, all of those individuals. Yeah. But you got to have the producer. you got to have a producer, yeah. That person's pretty pretty important. It's the role that the director is, of course, in charge of the creative, and they're working closely with the actors and, and the crew and everyone. That, that person is extremely important. Um, they have to have the vision, but the producer really has to have a bird's eye view of even – you know, above that um, and seeing everything. It's a trying to like balance your creative side of your brain and the sort of more business, you know, side of your brain. And that's what To the Stars, you were doing all of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To the Stars is a really special film because it was, it's not the first feature that I produced, but it's the first one that I um, sort of originated, uh, meaning it was a script that had been sort of shelved for, I don't know how many years, maybe 10, 12 years. And a manager read it, a friend of mine, and sent it to me, um, thinking that I would kind of spark to it. Um, And he was right. I read it. And I don't even think I was a third of the way in. And I felt like, oh, I gotta, I gotta make this, this movie, I'm gonna make this happen. Um, So it was one that um, I don't know would have, you know, been made had it not been um, sent to me and sort of flagged for me. So, yeah, this one's special because I was able to – it was hard, but I was able to make it happen. Well, that's one of the things if, – if things work out that you can do as a producer is mm-hmm. bring something to life that mm-hmm. you think is important that perhaps puts a spotlight on a story that otherwise wouldn't be seen. Yeah, yeah. I love that about it. Producing is really, really hard. It's extremely challenging and stressful, but that is one of the things that I love, love about it. What is it that got you interested in producing? Is it being able to share stories? So I didn't know that I wanted to produce. I I knew since I was, I don't know, I could talk when I watched the movie E.T. when I was a little girl that I wanted to be in this world, but I didn't quite know what that meant. I thought growing up that just acting was the only thing you could do. As I got older and learned that there's a whole crew behind the scenes, and um, I started kind of hopping around in different departments trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I knew I wanted to work in a film, just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Eventually enough people were coming up to me after projects and saying, you really should consider producing. It seems like that kind of fits with your skill set. And I kept putting it off because I had zero connections to money, zero connections to talent. It just seemed like a pipe dream to me, like impossible for me to do. Um, And then eventually someone came to me with a short film project and said, will you just produce this for us? Like, we have the money. Like, just do it. And I— Is this Pillow? Pillow, yep. The Miller Brothers, yeah. Miller Brothers, yeah. Also um, Arkansans. Um, And that experience is kind of what changed everything. I did that, and everything just kind of clicked into place. Um, And I realized 
you know, this is what I was supposed to be doing. Part of the role is marketing. I imagine that's on the front end as well. If you have mm-hmm. a script like To the Stars that you really believe in, mm-hmm. now you got to rally to get some of the backing, to get some yeah. other people to have yeah. the passion. Yeah, that is really one of the hardest parts of filmmaking is, okay, you found a story that you love. You m- probably have the director. Um, so you have a couple of people that, that love it. Um, but, yeah, you've got to convince people to put money into it. And, and film investing is it's a risky investment. It's one of the riskiest investments you can take. So it's a really special, like, crowd of people that you're talking to, and um, they have to really love it and, you know, have a good reason to, to want to be a part of it, obviously. Problem solving is a lot of it, right? Problem solving is a lot of it, yeah. It's a lot of um, producing is prepping the mess out of it, you know, d- d- putting in a ton of time into preparation. And then uh, day one of filming, you're kind of just sitting around waiting. Like you're, you're watching all the people that you've hired execute everything you've been prepping. And then you're just kind of watching to make sure, okay, the tone is, you know, staying the same. You're watching the monitor and then waiting for a problem to arise, which happens all day, every day. So um, yeah, you're putting out fires and problem solving. When I think of a producer, I, I guess my imagination is stuck in the 30s or 40s, the MGM, <laughs> the cigar-smoking big white guy. Yeah. Is our producers now more representative of the population? Is it becoming more diverse? I think it's getting better, but, I mean, still there are um, a lot of older white guys calling the shots, <laughs> you know. So we get a lot of films that are about... Yeah. White guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, especially like studio executives. And I feel like they're, I think it is slowly but surely getting better. Um, and there are definitely, I'm seeing more and more women for sure um, and people of color producing, which is great. But it's still not anywhere close to where, you know, we need to be. And when you mentioned it's hard to get a period piece about high school girls funded, is that because it's high school girls? Yeah, high school is tough, but if it's about women, it's just, it's even more tough. Yeah, for whatever reason, um, if you're you know getting hard numbers on on paper about someone's value, um, which is the whole other conversation, but you know there are, there's literally numbers assigned to certain actors. Um, males always have a little bit more value, um, so yeah, that plays into it. Think you're going to be speaking to some future producers when you talk at Thayden School, the Q and A? I don't know. It's kind of exciting to think about. Um, I, you know, I'm grateful that I'm really grateful for Arkansas Cinema Society and that they're doing this and um, all the um, sort of initiatives that they're taking because I grew up in central Arkansas and, like I said, knew I wanted to work in film, but there wasn't anything like this for me to, to tap into. And it took me so long to A, figure out how to even get into the industry and then B, to start, you know, working my way up. So, had something like this been around, it may not have taken me quite so long to get, you know, to get to this point. So it's exciting to think about, you know, there being some other like budding producers or filmmakers in Arkansas, and maybe they'll maybe they'll have a slightly easier time like getting into it. Kristen Mann is the producer of the movie To the Stars. A free screening and discussion with her afterward will take place at Thaden School in Bentonville Friday night beginning at 6.30. You can find out more at ArkansasCinemaSociety.org.
Thanks for being with us on this Monday. This is Ozarks at Large. And this is the on-air spring fundraiser for KUAF. We have more Ozarks at Large in just a couple of minutes. Right now, I'm going to remind you that the reason public radio and KUAF and Ozarks at Large exist, the reason, biggest reason, listeners just like you who determine the value of public radio in their lives, then make a contribution that they can afford. Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville, great friend of KUAF, has put together a $300 challenge during this hour of Ozarks at Large. If we can combine, work together, raise $300 during this hour, Marty will match that. It's worth then $600. A great way for you to double your impact. And this is open to all listeners of public radio and KUAF right now. When you give money to KUAF, you're helping us cover the costs of the programs that you listen to, like Ozarks at Large. But you're also doing something bigger. The money you give strengthens our editorial independence. Think about it. If we were fully funded by the government, you can imagine the strings that would come with that funding, no matter who's in control. You don't have to imagine what we'd sound like if we were fully funded by corporations. That is commercial radio. It can be a great service for the people who listen to it. But the ultimate purpose of commercial radio is, it's a for-profit business, is to make money for its shareholders. Our ultimate purpose at KUAF is to serve our listeners, you. And that's because the biggest share of our support comes from listeners. Listeners like you. We hope listeners like you. You can give right now at supportkuaf.com. It is safe. It's secure. It's pretty quick. And if you've done it before, you know how quick it is. If you haven't yet... It's incredibly easy. And here's the best part. You best know what you can afford, what the value of public radio is to you. So we ask you to determine how much to give to your public radio station. If it's just one more little nudge you need besides the great radio that you listen to and rely on, remember Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville has made a $300 challenge during this hour of Ozarks at Large. So if you can give up to $300, uh, it can be matched by Marty. But we'd love to hear from you right now. You can go online at supportkuaf.com, make your contribution to keep this independent, thought-provoking radio available to you. Supportkuaf.com, and thank you. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting the classic rock band Three Dog Night to the auditorium in Eureka Springs, Thursday, July 14th. Hits include Mama Told Me Not to Come, Joy to the World, an old-fashioned love song, and more. Tickets are available online at tickets at thundertix.com. Still to come on this edition of Ozarks at Large, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History will take us back to March 1974. Gas shortage, Watergate. The Exorcist, that's all coming up with archives from the Prior Center just ahead. And then later, a pinball resurgence taking place in downtown Fayetteville. I uh, wanted to remind you that during this year's spring on-air fundraiser, KUAF isn't offering coffee mugs, CDs, or T-shirts as thank you gifts for your support. Instead, we have partnered with Sonic to say thank you to teachers and educational staff in school districts across the listening area, including Fort Smith, Silent Springs, and more. Our spring on-air fundraiser has begun. It will run through Friday. And every afternoon of this fundraiser from 3 to 7, you can support the public radio programming you rely on every day and win during those hours where you receive 25 gifts of $20 or more. We'll be able to provide an area school district with Sonic gift cards to treat a teacher. 
We're hoping to provide an opportunity for listeners to support all the news, music, and more you get from KUAF and say thanks to the hardworking teachers at schools all across the listening area. All right, you can give your gifts during the Spring On Air fundraiser. That is already underway and will last through Friday evening at 7, and thank you. This is Ozarks at Large. What did we just hear? Here to tell us, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. What was that? Was that a religious tent revival? Or? <laughs> uh, believe it or not, it was uh, it was a protest on the uh, sidewalks of downtown Little Rock in, uh, well, this month, what was it, 48 years ago, 1974, they were uh, evangelical Christians protesting the showing of the movie The Exorcist. There was a satanic theme, and there was a lot of violence and horrible language. And, uh, and because it was an exorcism, there was uh, the Catholic faith brought into it. But we're going to have more about that okay. uh, later. We're talking about March 1974 throughout this whole segment. Yeah. Uh, You want to know what else was happening then? I do. All right. Number one song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not one of my favorites, but uh, Sunshine on My Shoulders by John Denver. Charles de Gaulle Airport opened in Paris. Mm -hmm. Mount Etna erupted in Sicily. Here in the United States, a first-class postage stamp increased in price from $0.08 to $0.10. Right. (laughs) And this was great. I found some footage of uh, a Kroger store opening. They had the ribbon cutting, and they showed some shots of the windows, and they listed chuck roast. Mm-hmm. At seventy nine cents a pound, and whole chicken fryers for thirty eight cents a pound. Of course, what were wages in Arkansas back then? Well, much much yeah. lower. We yeah. hey, we talked about that That's last right. week. We did with Becker. All right, so um, other big news. Yeah, Watergate. Yes, and it was you know the investigation was well underway and. It, you and I know as as news people, it was first reported by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein with the Washington Post, right. and then everybody else piled eventually, on. Eventually. eventually. It didn't happen oh. overnight. Oh, everyone yeah. was scared. Right. Uh, including the Washington Post. Yes. Uh, but, it, of course, it became the story that it, that it did, the story of the century. Um, so that month... Uh, Howard K. Smith, who was reporter and main anchor at the time for ABC News, happened to be in Arkansas for a speaking engagement, and a KATV reporter asked him about uh, whether 
TV news organizations could have broken that story like the Washington Post did. No television network was prepared to invest the reporters unused for several months to dig out the story. I'm sorry we didn't, but up until recently, television has not been a good means of investigative reporting. The press has done better. I hope that's being changed now. We've learned something. Is television news of age now? No, I don't think so. I think we still have a lot to learn. We have to, um, I hope we can get longer programs with fewer commercials. Right now we're given 30 minutes, but actually it comes down to 22 minutes when you take out time for all the things we have to put in. Uh, we can't come of age until we have at least 30 minutes to tell the public what they need to know. Back to Watergate. Yeah. Speaking of Watergate, um, our fourth district congressman at the time, Ray Thornton, uh, who was a Democrat, mm -hmm. was on the House Judiciary Committee that was investigating Watergate. And, you know, there was another Arkansan yeah. who was employed by the committee. Hillary Rodham Clinton. Yes. Yeah. She was a young, young attorney at the time. And so she was associated with the investigation. But now by March, which we're looking at right. here, but March of 74 – Seven of Nixon's presidential aides had already been indicted. Uh, and so KATV Steve Barnes ran down Thornton and asked him about the progress of the committee. Well, uh, it will depend entirely upon the nature of the documents which we are seeking to produce. It might be that a subpoena should be issued to pick up those documents. Are you leaning towards vote for impeachment? I'm not leaning in either direction. I've stated as clearly as I can that this is a matter to be determined on the law and the evidence that's presented to our committee and not on the basis of newspaper reports or our political opinion. Another congressman who was nationally known Wilbur Mills, who was chair of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, uh, which were talking money. Mm -hmm. And they were looking into money, specifically the president's finances. And this is what Congressman Mills had to say. The staff has gone into the matter to the extent that is quite evident to our staff that he owes additional taxes for those years uh, where he paid so little. Uh, I've talked to some Republican members of the Congress uh, who tell me that if he is still in office uh, by the month of June, that they will begin to urge him to resign because they feel that uh, he will be more of a burden in the fall, uh, more of a chain around their neck, apparently, uh, than would... Uh, Jerry Ford as president. Congressman Wilmer Mills ending strong there. Yes. Yeah, he was, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's kind of uh, laying some yeah. uh, an omen there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's get off of Watergate. Mm -hmm. Let's look now. We're talking mid seventies here. So of course there's inflation mm -hmm. and the recession and OPEC. And OPEC. Yeah. yeah. So gasoline prices, and I looked in 73, they were 39 cents a gallon. Mm -hmm. In 74, in March, they were 53 cents a gallon. That's a significant rise. That's, yeah. 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 And remember that most of our cars on the road are not known for. Uh, they were gas guzzlers. That's, yeah, exactly. That's right. 
Um, so then Governor Dale Bumpers was talking about gas prices and uh, at this point even talking about rationing. I suggest that if we ever wind up going to uh, rationing, that, tour, that uh, ration stamps be allowed to at least 20% of them be valid year-round. Uh, that way people could accumulate them and take vacations. And on agriculture, the thing that I've been dismayed about is the fact that uh, under the mandatory gasoline allocation plan, uh, gasoline is supposed to be available to farmers on 100% of current needs. So when it isn't, this means we have to use our 3% set-aside. And uh, the set-aside is not designed for that. And that was a big deal in Arkansas because so many people had to travel a good distance in, in rural Arkansas to school or to their work. I mean, gas, gas rationing was scary for people in rural Arkansas. Oh, lines yeah. and people getting in fights yeah. and, uh, you know, filling up cans. Yep. And, yeah, it was a mess. Yeah. Um, well, let's go back to politics. Okay. Uh, and and these are upcoming races that you know were forming at, at this juncture right. uh, in that year. Uh, so Arkansas's junior senator William Fulbright was in his fifth term. <laughs> it just says right. something about how often we sent people back to Washington that our junior senator was in his fifth term. I know. Yeah. And well, and his entire career. Right. He was a junior senator yeah. because McClellan was there right before him right. and and hung on yeah. uh, till the end. But he was asked by reporters about a possible opponent in his campaign uh, for re-election. Well, I hope it continues that way. I feel very pleased that there has been no announcement, and I hope there won't be. But, of course, in the nature of things, there's likely to be. And I expect somebody to run. It's just the nature of our system. Do you have any ideas on who that somebody might be? Well, you know who's talked about is, is the governor is reported almost daily to be considering it. That is, he hasn't said that, but commentators and observers say that, the news articles. And he said, as reported in the morning press, that he would make his determination and announcement uh, by the 12th of this month. In other words, it's fairly soon so that we can expect some kind of a, of a statement on it by the governor before the 12th. And? As predicted. Yes. There, here comes Governor Bumpers. And he announced his candidacy for Senate against Fulbright just days later. It's my strong personal belief that every man's highest calling is to serve his state and his nation. I have served my state to the very best of my ability. And now I hope to continue serving the state and the nation and the United States Senate. I believe. And then Senator Fulbright immediately responded. <laughs> and, of course, his, his big point was that uh, Bumpers just didn't have the experience. Yes, he had been governor in Arkansas, but he didn't have the experience to go to Washington. The central question for the people of Arkansas to consider in this election is which man can be more effective in the next six years in helping this state to continue its progress toward a better life for its people. The ability actually to deliver the goods, so to speak, requires a great deal more than fine speeches expressing noble sentiments. In view of the governor's lack of experience with the members and the procedures of the Senate of the United States, 
I will be interested to hear the reasons why the governor believes he can represent and can serve the interests of the people of our state better than I can. Ultimately, that kind of rationale ends up hurting Senator Fulbright. Right. He's reminding people that he's been in there for uh, 30 years. Well, and Bumpers was basically, I guess to use a term today, is he was old school. Yeah. And there needed to be new blood. Yeah. And, well, Bumpers, you know, called it a troublesome time that there needed to be uh, new leadership. And here he's, uh, he's talking about the energy crisis. The energy crisis is not temporary. And despite what you heard the other night, it certainly is not over. I dare say that it's with us for at least three to ten years. A curb on spending, both domestic and public, can have a very dramatic effect in curbing inflation. And rigid controls can and should be implemented where shortages, particularly shortages that have been induced, exist. No non-renewable source in this country ought to be used for anything except the most permanent kind of structure. Everything ought to be recycled. And I could go on and on about things that we ought to do. Three to ten years, is that what he said? He thought it was going to yeah. last? Oof. And I it think lasted, he was... I mean, it may, may not have lasted ten, but it... It was five. Yeah. Yeah, easily. Yeah. So Fulbright and Bumpers have their big nationally televised debate, which was in KATV's studios. Right. And, uh, of course, Bumpers won the primary against Fulbright uh, pretty much in a landslide, wide margin, and then, of course, defeated his Republican opponent, uh, John Jones, who was a businessman. And that was in the general election, and it was just— A cakewalk. A foregone conclusion. Yes. Um, So let's go from politics to urban development. Now, you didn't grow up in central Arkansas or Little Rock. I did not. I did. And as long as I can remember, when I started to reach my teens, you know, they were building shopping centers and malls out west. Mm -hmm. And Downtown was dead after five o'clock, and the city was constantly trying to bring people back downtown, revitalize the downtown area. They did a thing called the Metro Center Mall, where they actually bricked and closed Main Street and made it a pedestrian mall with shops and kiosks out in the middle of what used to be the road. Well, it didn't work. It failed miserably. And another thing they tried to do was turn the old Union train station, which was really not that close to downtown, but it was in the east part of town, Mm -hmm. um, wanted to make it an entertainment center. Um, I don't remember this. Well, you would remember a couple of things. They had around the backside, they had a disco place called Tracks Inn. Okay. Where all the, you know, hip disco dancing people went and then around the front side they had a pool joint called slick willies oh well that lives on in a different way well when clinton ran for president 
in 92, all the national press right. would hang out there and they nicknamed him. Right. That's where that came yeah, from, Slick yeah. Willie. And then next door to Slick Willie's was a place called Buster's. And that was kind of a higher end bar that served food. But all the, this was back during the Bond Daddy days. Okay. And they would all hang out there. And just a little bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, the owners of Slick Willie's and Buster's, uh, who were from Little Rock, moved to Dallas and partnered, and they now run a chain of restaurants called Dave and Buster's. So they sort of combine huh. the gaming of Slick Willie's and the the food and drink the sort of bar from food. Buster's. Okay. Yeah, and so that's where that is. But uh, anyway, yes. It didn't really work. Those three places opened, but here is a, a spokesman from a development company, and this is the big deal they're going to make of the Union train station. The goal that the city and the goal that Metro Center should have for the train station and downtown Little Rock is to create an ongoing, lasting, long-range tourist attraction. Uh, the kind of thing that when people come to Little Rock, they visit the train station, they can remember it and talk about it wherever they go. We have seen this happening all over the country in other theme centers, nostalgia centers like this. And we think it is definitely going to happen in the train station. I feel without a doubt that it's time that Little Rock moved even more progressively toward convention business. I think we have made great strides with the opening of our convention center this past year. We hope that the train station will not only aid and increase the convention business, but hopefully create demand for other convention hotels in Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, I don't know real estate of that time, but you hear that now, it's like, well, it wasn't a horrible idea. Right, right. And now there are a few offices, yeah. uh, some nonprofit organizations that have offices there, and Amtrak comes through there once or twice a week, and that's all that place is used for. That's where... Um the main office for Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families is, right? Absolutely. My, yes. my wife works Your for wife And my wife used to. That's right. So I, I've been there. I didn't really. So that's, that's where Slick Union, Willie's was. Right downstairs, right below there. So you want to go back to The Exorcist? Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. So we heard the, the singing and uh, the chanting and the protest. Well, you know, this was an Academy Award nominated. Yeah, it was one of the five films nominated for Best Picture. Yes, and several others. I think screenplay and uh, some of the actors. Uh, And at the time, it was the highest grossing R-rated film in the country. That's right. Or in history. Um, So when it premiered in Little Rock, dozens of evangelical Christians came out to protest and they marched and sang out in front of the old center theater. And, you know, they had instruments, and it was like a, a revival. revival. Yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, but, you know, they were very much against the satanic themes mm-hmm. and the violence and the bad language. And uh, here's what one of the protesters and what they had to say. We simply feel that uh, the satanic power has had so much publicity in the world today that we felt that uh, the urgency of the hour and the last day that we're living in that uh, we felt the urgency of the spirit to lead the confines of our buildings and to reach the people on the streets 
We feel that this is leaving an effect of uh, depression upon people, and we know that God can give deliverance to people in this day that we're living in. And we're just some young people that are excited about what God has done for us. The studio loved that. You go back oh. to the when 3D movies started, like House of Wax with Vincent Price, all that sort of publicity would just make people even more curious. You can't buy publicity right. like that. Right. What, is, what is it they say? There's there's nothing. No such thing as bad, bad publicity. Yeah, or bad yeah. ink. Yeah. yeah. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara uh, Pryor Center for Arkansas <laughs> Oral Visual History. Thank you, Randy. I'll be back. On the latest episode of Undisciplined, Eric Hughes discusses Interstate 630 in Little Rock and the impact its creation had on black and brown communities in the city. I personally, especially after doing this research, in in some ways agree with the sentiment that systems can't be racist. Now, I'm going to explain. Listen to Undisciplined for free wherever you get your podcasts. Walton Art Center's 10 by 10 Art Series presents the youngest Grammy Award nominee in a jazz category, Joey Alexander. The 18-year-old Indonesian piano prodigy will perform original music alongside bassist Larry Grenadier and drummer Kendrick Scott on Thursday, April 7th. WaltonArtCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. There are stories on public radio that stick with you. You listen intently until they're over. You think about them for hours, maybe even days. The best journalism on public radio can be described as great storytelling with meticulous fact-checking. Reporting that informs you, engages you, challenges you, maybe even calls you to action. Public radio provides great journalism every day. Public radio survives because listeners who value that great journalism support the station. You can contribute at supportkuaf.com right now. And when you do, don't forget, Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville has made a $300 challenge during this hour of Ozarks at Large. We'd love to hear from you and be able to match that $300 from Marty. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. This is Ozarks at Large, and thanks for your continued support of KUAF and for your support of this unique program dedicated to where you are. We've been putting the show on the air as a radio magazine for more than 32 years. Think of the creative explosions that have happened here in the past three decades. Public art and murals, theater, locally brewed beer, mountain biking, of course. What could be next? How about pinball? Maybe. The enduring game of patience, gravity, skill, and supple wrists is the cornerstone of Pinpoint, a bar in downtown Fayetteville. And now each month, the bar hosts tournaments as part of the IFPA. That's the International Flipper Pinball Association the governing body of all pinball tournaments in the world. Earlier this month, we dropped into Pinpoint to talk with John Munkus, the local director of tournaments, the tech for the machines at Pinpoint, and a pinball competitor, as well as Bo Counts, the owner of Pinpoint. We wanted to find out how a game decades old is experiencing yet another revival. Here's part of what they told us about pinball in 2022. We're actually starting to see uh, our tournaments become a little bit bigger on the IFPA, IFPA scene. Uh, you have to have so many rated players, uh, which we've got more now, uh, to effectively have a meaningful tournament. And uh, we're hitting that with our you know, 30 plus players that have been coming uh, on a regular basis. When we opened, uh, we had maybe 11 games in the collection when we started. And we, we, we actually got lucky. We, we got ahead of this wave before pinball became sort of another international craze. Like, pinball was really popular in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And then something happened. It hit like a 10-year void. 
and now it's back with a vengeance. And we had started collecting, and we were able to afford some of these games. And now, like, these games are flying from coast to coast. People buying and selling. New games are getting developed all the time. And we have almost 50 games in the collection now. So to be rated, it's real simple. You just take part in five IFPA tournaments. Uh, so, you know, we've had some new players uh, who are still working their way up, but uh, we've established quite a, uh, you know, veteran force. Uh, myself, having organized tournaments, have now organized 23 total and, uh, you know, have a few players that have been to most of those. It's incredible, especially in a tournament, you're, you've got somebody playing on a game that was manufactured in 1989 next to someone playing on a game from 2018 and competing head-to-head as if, you know, they're on equal playing fields. You, 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 it's one of the only games that are like that, you know, where the age doesn't matter. You know, video games, there seems to be a disconnect. Sports, there's just a physical disconnect. But pinball is multi-generational. So you're guaranteed at least to play seven games uh, at the tournament. If you make it through uh, to quali- uh, through qualifying to the playoffs, then there's uh, semifinals with three more games and a finals with three more games. So, so if you're in the finals, you're going to play 13 games. Yes, and off of just a dollar. Uh, so all the games that you play as part of the tournament, uh, we tell you how to play, what to play. Uh, we don't think that you should have to pay to play in those cases. So uh, all you have to do is pay the dollar admission fee or uh, IFPA fee in order to play all the games in the tournament. You can bump the machines a little bit. That's part of the game. Uh, it's a very physical thing. Uh, that means, you know, just kind of lightly kind of tapping it, maybe moving it side to side. That doesn't mean picking up the machine or sliding it across the floor. You get a foul just like in basketball. We have uh, a player who recently uh, I got matched up against on this last Sunday on uh, Doctor Who, and I knew I was in uh, for a world of hurt because he is able to uh, consistently uh, hit one of the high-scoring ramps Uh, I think his best performance is 107 times, which is quite impressive. Part of the fun is when you come in and you see these initials and then you actually get to play alongside and go, oh, you're MDM. Oh, you're BO. You you know, and you, you develop this like invisible community of people, you know, CMS, who is that guy? And then you meet him and you're like, you've got an instant connection. So it's, it's, you can be playing by yourself, but also be building a relationship in a community that, that you will become a part of whether you know it or not. It's, it's pretty incredible. John Munkus is the director of the local pinball tournaments at Pinpoint in downtown Fayetteville that are part of the International Flipper Pinball Association. Bo Counts is the owner of Pinpoint. Tournaments that are part of IFPA Play are hosted every second Sunday of the month. Doors at 1, play begins at 2. Newcomers are welcome. There is also a last Tuesday of the month one-night competition. If you're not ready for tournament play, the next such night, tomorrow night. Thank you.
Thanks so much for being with us on this Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. It is the spring on-air fundraiser at KUAF. And you know what? At a time when many news outlets are struggling to make ends meet, listener support is the reason KUAF and programs like Ozarks at Large continue to go strong. We bring you more local news and events, and we've expanded our online coverage to keep you better connected to the stories that matter. We've launched all kinds of new podcasts in the last six months or so. We don't have to appeal to shareholders each quarter. We appeal to you to support the programming you value with a voluntary contribution. This is the public radio model, and it is the reason KUAF continues to bring you unrivaled, independent, intelligent, and balanced news. And pinball. Thank you if you've already contributed. You're the reason we're here. If you haven't given, or maybe it's been a while since your last contribution, you can keep KUAF strong. You can keep KUAF here for you and your neighbors right now by going online to support KUAF.com. You pick the amount of your contribution. You can make it right now. And a big thanks to Marty Burgraff, who uh, made a contribution. Well, not just a contribution, but Marty um, made a a matching uh, a challenge of $300 for when we started uh, this hour of Ozarks at Large. So if we can work together and get that $300 together, your help and, and fellow listeners, we can then match Marty's $300 challenge, and it becomes a $600 contribution. You can make a contribution in the amount of your choice right now at supportkuaf.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Elm Springs. Timothy Dennis produced today's show in the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors today include Jacqueline Froelich and Randy Dixon. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Kyle Callums. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for your continued support of Ozarks at Large. Thank you, too, to Marty Burgraff for making the $300 challenge during this hour of Ozarks at Large. We will return tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. and be with you on your schedule when you subscribe to the free Ozarks at Large podcast. That's available through all major podcast distributors. And once again, you can support KUAF right now by going online to supportkuaf.com. Have a great rest of your Monday.